listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thank you for joining us again for episode 215. How's it going, Mark? It's hot. It's so hot. <laughs> it's dangerously hot. What did we see today? The asphalt in Houston got up to 100, was it 75, 75 degrees? And, and the cement got up to 155. 155. Yeah, it's crazy. That's enough to like seriously burn you if you walk on it barefoot. Well, and everybody needs to be careful with their pets too. That's a good point. And we want to apologize to everybody for missing out last week. We had this little Hurricane Laura thing happen. And so we just thought it was the best thing to do to, for the safety of our people is to not actually put an episode out. Well, not only that, we all had to get prepared for it just in case. Well, we thought it was going to hit us. Yeah. So. Thankfully, it didn't hit Houston, but our prayers go out to everyone on the Louisiana-Texas border. It's been affected and even north of there. Yeah. Right. Laura's still still a storm. It's no longer a hurricane or tropical depression, but still turning out rain. So, you know, our prayers are out there for everybody. And speaking of everybody, we got some cool reviews, didn't we? We sure did. The first one is from a branch manager in the Permian. Speaking of reviews, this podcast is a great way to catch up on oil and gas news. Mark and Paige make a great team. Speaking of segues, Marks are blunt and abrupt and they get the <laughs> job done. Appreciate the show. Scott, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've been caught a lot of flack for my segues and I try my best. So big shout out. Thank you. Hey, keep your voice down, man. You're peeking over here. Sorry. I'm excited. <laughs> Somebody talked about my segues positively. It's never happened before. Uh, another review. Great show. I'm always pleased with the information and contact insights. I'm graduating with a petroleum engineering degree this December and have my fingers crossed to find a job. Can I get into touch with OGGM for some networking opportunities? Heck yeah. Well, yeah, when we start really networking again in person, that would yeah. be cool. So I don't know who one Calthroth one is in the United States, but you're a student. Reach out to me directly and let's start a conversation. If we can help you networking this early on, it's going to help you with your job searching when you, when you graduate. So yeah, go ahead and reach out. Awesome. All right, let's get into the questions. First one is from Raggiolio. Garcia, research assistant. I love the show. You guys should have another show or segment for the tech podcast to talk about all the processes and technologies that are being implemented in the industry to lower or prevent emissions and pollution. This idea could be help promote the fact that the oil and gas industry want to operate without hurting the environment. Oil and gas green podcast? Question mark. So, Rogello, thank you. We're working on this actually right now. We have a host lined up. The working title is Oil and Gas Renewables Podcast. We've had a sponsorship deal fall through, so we're out there looking for another sponsor. But we think your idea is great, so great that we're actually a couple steps ahead of you. But we're working on an oil and gas renewables podcast. We think it's important. And like I said, I have all the pieces in place now just out there looking for a sponsor. Which, by the way, any company out there that wants to promote and play a part with our oil and gas renewables podcast, let me tell you, you also get access to all, what are we up to, 10 or 11 other? I've lost count. Yeah, other oil and gas podcasts. So you don't just get access to the one you sponsor, you get access to all of them. So if you're a company out there that understands the power of what's going on in the energy markets and would like to be a sponsor and a partner with us for the renewables podcast, let me know. All right, you want to get the next one? Ooh, I'm going to mess up her name. Really That's bad. why I was going to have you do it. <laughs> Actually, you, you, want, you want me to try? Try. Sohini Dutia. Sounds good to me. All right. Corporate Finance at MUFG. Hello. Firstly, I wanted to say I absolutely love listening to your podcast. I'm relatively new to the sector and find that your weekly updates provide me with exactly what I need to keep up with 
in what is a fast-moving, incredibly interesting sector. There's an ongoing project in the Bank of England is running with banks, including MUFG, on assessing the appropriate climate change stress testing methodology for oil and gas companies. What do you believe will be the most crucial ESG indicators for companies in the future, i.e. those indicators, KPIs, which investors and external stakeholders will be most focused on when making investment financing decisions? Yeah, I actually spent a little time with her on the phone. This is a great inquiry. It's actually, And you really... don't know how to say her name? No. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's also a really great question. I think I know a podcasting, only gas podcasting company that's, I think, launching an ESG podcast. I think I know. Who? Who? I'm pretty sure it's us. Yeah. Who's the host? Sean McCoy. Yep. It's our Oil and Gas Elevate podcast, which is the ES story of oil and gas. So stay tuned. That's going to be launching really soon. What are some of the KPIs? What are some of the most crucial ESG indicators? You hear a lot of stuff on social media and in the news about pollution and emissions and all that. And although that's important, I think there's other things that are probably more important when I'm looking at evaluating a company, especially from an investment point of view. One thing that nobody ever talks about is biodiversity. Another thing is efficiency, right? If you can increase your efficiencies, you're reducing your impact to the environment. Other thing is energy use, right? If you, if you can reduce your energy use, you're actually making a big impact to your ESG metrics. Uh, greenhouse gases, of course, is one. Pollution's another one. But things like how are you recycling in your company? What type of treatment and discharge do you have when you're operating outside the U.S. for things like sewage? Water quality. How do you use water? I think all those things are very much an important metric in the environmental part of ESG. From a social point of view, human rights. We accept it here in, in Europe as normal that we treat everybody as well as we actually can. But in other parts of the world, that's not always the case. Privacy and security, recruitment and retention, diversity of your workforce, compensation and benefits. How many times do you hear the ESG group talk about how well do you pay your people? That's a huge metric. From a governance point of view, anti-corruption and bribery is a big one for me. Political contributions in the last, say, eight years has been another big one for me. You know, I hear companies talk one thing, but I watch who they contribute to politically. And that money is where the truth is. Risk management. How do you manage risk in, in your operations? And then economic, I mean, are you innovating? What is your business model? Are you looking open for new ideas? So there's a lot of metrics and indicators from an ESG point of view. And the interesting thing is as we go down this road where ESG metrics become more and more important to investors, for stakeholders, for employees, for new hires, for existing employees, this mix is going to change. We're going to uncover stuff that we haven't even thought of yet. So there's my input on that. But thank you. An awesome question. All right. And of course, as always, we have a question from Lodovic. Very good. I've been practicing. <laughs> Hoff Profit. What will the peace deal between the UAE and Israel do for the oil markets? So first thing, not to get into politics more than I should, but President Trump actually brokered this deal. It's historic. Literally, I think it was yesterday I saw the first plane, commercial plane, fly between Israel and UAE. So this is enormous. So under this agreement, they're going to quit being mad at each other and fighting. <laughs> I'm not trying to paraphrase here. And they're cooperating things like education, healthcare, the trade of energy, security. They're going to actually exchange ambassadors and have embassies. They haven't had this entire time, right? And so if we can get these two groups who since the 1960s have not got along to actually work together, I mean, this is way past historic. You know, Israel controls the holy city and the holy sites. And so to all religions, not just to Judaism, but to Christianity and to Islam, 
Well, when Israel opens that up and allows everybody of every faith to come in and worship as they feel that they should, you talk about just basic humanity, just incredible, right? This is one of those things that is getting no press right now, which is going to totally transform the economic region and the political struggles in that part of the world. And I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, Ludwig said, now I could live in Dubai if I wish. Yes, you could. And Dubai is actually a beautiful city. And with this going into place, Dubai is not only going to continue to be a beautiful city, but it's going to end up being an economic powerhouse of that part of the world. So I think this is incredible. Like I said, nobody's talking about this in the news and they should be talking about it. All right. Next question is from Robert Latimer, Principal Senior Land Agent at Right Way Land and Compliance, LLC. Mark, I noticed some news coverage of possible exports of Canadian Bakken crude via port of Corpus Christi. And then there's a link. And then the question is, why export Canadian crude blends, assuming mostly medium and heavy blends, when refiners on the Gulf, Gulf Coast are set up to refine the same? I get Bakken crude exports, typically lighter blends, but what's the logic on Canadian blends? Where would it go for refining if not the U.S.? So before I answer that, the first thing I want to talk about, I'm trying to stay away from politics and every question has a political answer. How screwed up is it, Paige, that the companies in Canada still need to get their heavy crudes to market and because of the environmental and political issues that they have, and we have the same things going on here, that it makes fiscal sense for them to ship that crude all the way to the Gulf Coast and export it versus export it from their own coast. That's ridiculous. That's insane, right? And, you know, that's jobs and money and taxes and schools that should stay in Canada that's actually being brought here. Now, I'm not going to turn it down as a resident of Texas, but this is insane that the best financial way for them to get their crew to market is through the Gulf Coast of the U.S. Because they don't have refineries, right? No, they have they have their own refineries. They right. produce more than they can refine. The problem is the environmentalists and the politicians won't let them build export terminals on the Eater Coast. What? So this crude is landlocked. Like literally for a tenth of you know, a one year of shipping it down here, they could build their own export terminal and keep all that money. And then how many more jobs is that? How much more tax base is that? And, you know, all that prosperity, sort of prosperity. So it's just a screwed up situation. You know, my heart goes out to my Canadian brothers and sisters. We deal with the same thing here. Just not on the same, just on the same level. Not on the same level. We had a head start, right? So right. our politicians had their head screwed on straight with oil and gas for hundred years. And now we're struggling with some of the stuff, whereas, you know, Canada didn't have that luxury. But to answer your question, here's the funny thing. Who do you think it would be, Paige, that would buy heavy Canadian crude? I don't know. Yeah, I don't you, know who would, ha- would have right. the need for it. It's a Saudi Arabia and Iraq, the people that produce heavy crude. So depending on what's going on with their conventional reservoirs and what's going on with infrastructure and warfare, sometimes even though they have the heavy crude right under their feet, it's cheaper to buy it from the U.S. And the U.S. is selling Canadian crude <laughs> So, you know, one of the lessons I want the audience to understand here is this hydrocarbon market, so crude and natural gas, is one of the true global commodities. I saw a really interesting study where they were able to track the DNA of microbes that are naturally occurring in crude, so you can actually trace where that crude came from. And you actually can go into different parts of the world and you'll see crude that was stolen from the Middle East, crude that was stolen from Mexico, crude that was stolen from Brazil, crude that was stolen from China in the market because they can trace it from a DNA point of view. So... The inner workings of the oil and gas global market are extremely complex, and it's one of the things that we struggle with. And with all the analysts, any analysts out there that can tell you they know exactly how much production is globally and how much consumption is globally and what the demand increase could be, is they're guessing. Because we try really hard, but because there's all these little twists and turns, it's really hard to get a handle on all of this. But yeah, so Saudi Arabia, Iraq tend to buy 
in the right circumstance, a lot of Canadian crude and they buy it through the U.S. Okay, so next question is from Anonymous. Mark and Paige, as a longtime listener, you guys have such an awesome dynamic. Thanks for all the wonderful content you put out. So I came across this Bloomberg article this week, and here are my questions. When did people in our Let me stop before you get there. Okay. So the title of the Bloomberg article is Head of Woman in Energy Group Says She Got Dog Poop in the Mail. Yeah. Yeah. So here are my questions. When did people in our industry decide that bullying is acceptable while we're in such a fragile state to begin with? Why are people turning on each other? And when did trolling become a thing in oil and gas? I feel we're taking steps back in time on the progress made as far as the equality of women in the industry. Again, keep up the great work. Anonymous, 100% agree. So when this article came out, we know Pink Petro, we know Katie. So first thing is Katie is a longtime oil and gas veteran. She's a breast cancer survivor, hence the pink and Pink Petro. Right. She has worked really hard on diversity and inclusion, not just women, for everybody. And her heart's in the right place. And if you read this article, put a link in the show notes. It brought tears to my eyes, quite frankly. It pisses me off and brought tears to my eyes, too. But basically, Pink Petro and Katie have been trolled by several different groups, all anonymous, all online. And then the thing that they did that just, this has gone too far. So not only did they troll her, but they trolled SPE, the Gulf Coast chapter. But somebody opened up several parody accounts of Pink Petro on Twitter, which is no big deal. Somebody spent the time and money to set up a website called Blue Petro, which is trolling Pink Petro. And in this, they basically said, now this has been taken down, but it's all been screenshotted. They're mixing Nazism with attack on two institutions, Texan A&M, Society of Petroleum Engineers. The site declares that Texas A&M and SP chapter have outed itself as a puppet of Pink Petro after establishing their anti-white, anti-man Gestapo force. This group's meeting, the site says, will now be lectures to the white men on how they're bad and we need to import more cheap H-1B1 visas and women to be engineers in charge of operations. Screenshot from bluepetro.org. What the hell is going on? I'm so upset right now. I'm shaking. So here's the deal. Number one, this is not right. Anybody in the industry needs to stand up to this. We've worked too hard for too long to get rid of this bullshit. Number two, I'm offering a $1,000 reward right now. For any proof, 100% proof of who stood up bluepetro.org. I want names, LinkedIn profiles, and addresses. $1,000, you can be totally anonymous. We're going to stop this. We're going to either stop this as an organization, as an industry, or I'm going to stop it myself. This is a horrible setting. This is horrible leadership to treat companies and people who are trying to do the right thing in our industry in a time when we're down is just wrong on so many levels. So, you know, to answer your question, Anonymous, why are people turning on each other? I don't think people turn on each other. I think there's a handful of bad apples that are probably attention starved and really not doing much in life that they get their enjoyment by doing this. And I want to find out who they are. And then you also say, you know, I feel like we're taking steps back on progress made as far as equality of women industry. Hell yeah. Once again, you got a handful of people that think it's funny to do stuff like this. You know, I ask our audience, if you have any information about these groups on Twitter, the bluepetro.org, anything, let me know. You can remain 100% anonymous. I want to know who did this and we're going to fix it. There's no place for this in our industry. Agreed. Especially as a woman. Absolutely. 100% agree. Next question is from Courtney Williams, HR director at Devon. I'm trying not to gush over Paige joining the show. Let's just say she brings a new and exciting perspective that's been missing. I just love it. Thank you. Here's my question. What's the difference between Bessie's using the issuance of incidents of noncompliance citations versus issuing civil penalties to operators in the GOM to correct violations? Is one stronger 
of a message than the other. Keep up the amazing content. You Before do. you answer that, you said gone, which we all know, but His maybe Gulf of Mexico. Gulf of Mexico. Thank you. So yeah, this is right up my alley. So normally when you're on a platform and an inspector comes out and you have a pink list, so short for incident of non-compliance is ink. So and this is a Bessie inspector. Right. Correct. Okay. So they get on a platform and they pull out their pink slip, which is a uh, potential. So this is the potentials of inks you can have on a platform. So if they write you a violation, you have, you know, they go, okay, this needs correction. Oh, you have a warning, fix it, all that stuff. So the moment it gets bigger than the incident of noncompliance, it becomes a civil penalty, a civil penalty that I think the maximum amount they can charge per day per violations is over $45,000. So $45,000 a day per violation. Right. And so you get so many inks or civil penalties, they revoke your operator license. So the civil penalties is much more extreme than the thing I can't pronounce. The incidents incidents and noncompliance, the ink. Yeah. What a good question. Kind of curious why. (laughs) What a good question. Well, she was probably just curious because she's seen it around the office. I mean, you know, you can get an office ink. You know, know, I do find that interesting. So one of the things I've seen over the years with our show is people that work in oil and gas, regardless of what their function is, sometimes will have a question they don't feel comfortable asking their peers. Yeah. And so they ask us. Yeah. Which I'm totally fine with. I mean, that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on the show is that we want to help educate everybody, whether you're you know still in college and, and having started yet or even in this industry for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of those big legal green sheets, which are incidents of noncompliance. So, yeah. Did you have anything to do with them, Paige? Uh, or did you fix them? Well, it depends. I had to definitely respond to the government with the fact that it was corrected, turn in the green sheet, save the copy of the yellow sheet because of the carbon copy, keep it in the file based off of the, either the platform or the well, depends on what was going on. I wish I could do a poll of everybody that's listening right now. How many of you even know what a carbon copy is? <laughs> <laughs> they still exist. Do they still use them? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, they have to keep, so I think it's three pieces of paper. They keep, I can't remember, it's a green copy. A yellow copy and a pink copy, I think, or maybe a, I don't know. But they keep one of them. They send the rest of them in to us. We say this has been corrected on this date, and they come back and inspect later if they need to. Got it. All right. So next one is someone that doesn't want their name. And I don't want to name. <laughs> don't want to mention says, my name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this person is an executive at Chesapeake. <laughs> this is a first. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Mark and Paige, I lo- just love your show and a longtime listener. By far the top and best oil and gas podcast out there. I've watched OGGN grow from one podcast at the hobbyist level to this media empire that shows no sign of slowing down. Last count, you had 10 shows with several more coming soon. Your sponsors seem to be all Fortune 1000 with several at the top of Fortune 100. And your live events and now live streaming have been extremely well received. I now accept it as normal when in our meetings, others references, facts, opinions from your shows. That's awesome. As do many of my peers. So here are my questions. Number one, would you be open to capital investment for a percentage of ownership? No. Very good. Yeah. We appreciate the offer. Don't want to mention my name at <laughs> Chesapeake. We've bootstrapped this from the beginning. We want to continue to grow. We want to continue to do what we think is best for the company and taking investment dollars doesn't jive with our strategy. One of the things I was so proud of my core team years ago, I set them down because we had 
somebody had tried to buy us. And I said, do y'all want to sell? Do y'all want to exit? Because right now it's not a good time. But if y'all want to exit in a couple of years, we can. We can all walk away with a nice little pile of money. And Paige, you were one of the people on that team. Exactly. And, and I was so proud of everybody. That all of y'all said, no, we're making a difference. You want to continue to do that, right? So appreciate the offer. I turned down investments all the time. Even if it's somebody that has a long-term play, I'm, I'm just- I I've already been it. asked this at least five times. Yeah, and I'm just not interested. But anyway, really appreciate the offer, especially coming from you. So you know, I'll take it as a compliment. And then the second question was, what does the future of look like for OGGN? We're growing. We're starting to experiment with different media types. Our goal is simple. Our goal is to educate our audiences about the truth of the oil and gas industry and to do that in a way that's educational and entertaining. And I think we do a pretty decent job of that. We still have room for improvement. What's the future? Somewhere down the road, I think augmented reality is be a part of what we're doing. We have a bunch of new shows in the work. I would not be surprised by the end of 2021 if we're around 25 or 30 separate podcasts. AI? Yeah. What are we going to do with AI? Not AI, but augmented reality. Oh, AR. Yeah, AR. Gotcha. Right. One of the advantages of a podcast is that you can consume the content while you're doing something else, like working out or driving or washing dishes, which you can't do with video. With augmented reality, though, you can consume that content while you're doing something else. And so I got my eye on augmented reality, hence my connection with some of the augmented reality companies out there, even though I sent a couple of the boards. I'm also doing reconnoitering for the future of OGGN. We're in the process of, of doing or looking at our first full feature. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be at least a year before that comes out. And we're always experimenting with new stuff. So the future is just growth, but growth in a way that we can make sure that we're always providing value to our audiences. Number three, how does Modal Point fit into <laughs> all of this? Well, I have Mark owns Modal Point. Modal Point owns OGGN. Yeah, it's pretty it's that pr simple. Pretty simple. Yeah. Modal Point was my first company I started when I left Forrester 10 years ago. Uh, maybe it's been longer than 10 years ago. Probably. Start, started out as a market research company. And then as the podcast business grew and OGGN grew, Modal Point is the legal entity that owns OGGN. Now that will change somewhere soon where OGGN will become its own legal entity. And Modal Point is now basically my speaking platform. So it's been all revamped. But Modal Point was the original company and it's still now the legal entity in this conversation. And of course, I know this is a guy because he says, take it from one of the gray beards. You are into something really big in an industry that has needed a fresh perspective for decades. I'll leave you with a little quote that has always served me well. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Tom Petty? Uh-huh. What a cool quote. Yeah, so. Good guess. Mr. Don't Want to Mention My Name. This is pretty awesome, actually. Well, he sounds like a good interview. He should come on Oil and Gas Industry Leaders. Have you ever done an anonymous interview? No. Would you? Why would I do it anonymously if I'm going to talk about where they are? Well, but he doesn't want to mention his name. So there's oh. a reason. I don't yeah. know what that reason is. I don't know. Hey, reach out to me, page.wilson at OGGN.com. Yeah, if it's the right situation, maybe you will do an anonymous interview. That, that'd be cool. Or just do a regular interview. Speaking of regular stuff, our giveaway. <laughs> hey, I got a kudos in my segue. I, I know, I know. Yeah. Really awesome shirts. Go sign up. Here's talk about it every week. We got swag coming for the people with the shirts and unique serial number. They're cut for both men and women. And if you don't win this week, go back and register again. You can register every single week. And these shirts start and have become a bit of a cult item. So we had a choice, a chance to put something else in the giveaway. And we decided that these are so cool. We're going to keep them. So go sign up and register on why you can. And weekly recount. <laughs> All right. United States is at 254. No change. That's good. Yeah. Canada is at 54, down two. Internationally, we're at 
743, and we're down 38. Yeah. Pretty cool U.S. didn't go down. We should start going back, turning back up soon, people. Slowly but surely. Yeah. Speaking of not slowly but surely, street team. So I figured out that the problem with the street team was me. I have now removed myself from the process. Warren, the host of our Oil Gas Pitch podcast, has taken over. He's arranging monthly calls to the street team. We got swag coming, hard hat stickers, shirts. We're much more involved with y'all. We're doing these happy hours virtually with the street team. And we're actually, I think Warren's going to move the street team group from Facebook to LinkedIn. So just be aware of that. If we do that, we'll put something on the Facebook group so you'll know where to go. But you know, we have several hundred street team members and we have a very small percentage of that, that are active, which once again is my fault. So if you're listening to this and you're part of the street team and you just haven't been engaged very much, I'm telling you, come back. <laughs> I learned a lesson. I put somebody in charge of it. It's very dynamic. It's very involved that wants to make sure that y'all get benefit from working with us. So big shout out for Warren for doing that. And then, like I said, sign up. It's, it's our all volunteer group and we're having fun. Yeah. It just makes sense to move it over to LinkedIn. It's more of a professional platform versus Facebook. And plus I'm tired of you know, going through and approving everybody. <laughs> well, I think frank. still we'll have an approval process on LinkedIn. Yeah, but I'm going to make like. Warren do it. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and guess what, everybody? The monthly events email that has not went out is going out tomorrow. Is it going out tomorrow? Yeah, it was supposed to go out today, but our editor paused it accidentally. I just caught it this morning. So oh, okay. It, not her fault. It's the first time she did it. So it's actually going out tomorrow morning. It's going out every month. If you have an event that you want listed in our oil and gas events newsletter, I'll make a deal with you. I'll put it in there for free, but you have to get it to Savannah at least 30 days ahead of time because it goes out every month. So we'll throw Savannah's contact information in there. So if you have any event, and even if it's slightly salesy, like so if you have a lunch and learn and you're really trying to promote your product, as long as you tell me the information clear and concisely and be open about it, I'll be happy to put that in there. So companies out there that have been hunkered down, marketing groups that haven't had much to do because of this whole COVID-19 lockdown, let's start picking things up. Even if your event is virtually, let me throw it in a newsletter. I'll do it for free. Like I said, I'll trade you. And then speaking of trading for stuff, it was funny. So I told you just this morning, I had a company reach out to me, wanting to know if I would speak in this organization. I mean, we had we brokered what the topics were, my fees and all that sort of stuff. And they go, well, it's a company you may not have ever heard of called Transocean. <laughs> and I had to laugh <laughs> yeah, that because was funny. the speaking company is not in our industry, so they have no idea. But I just think it's cool. That, you a, know. Little, a little company you might have heard of. <laughs> yeah. But to that point, if you like me or any of our experts to come speak at your event, your meeting, your trade show, whatever, virtually and eventually in person, let me know. We do it all the time. It's fun. It's a way for your people, your audiences, your employees to get a different perspective. And at the same time, we don't charge a whole lot. So, you know, if we can help you by bringing a different perspective, let us know. We'd love to do it. And then I don't know what to tell people on our websites. We're running behind. We're running about well, behind. yeah. So, yeah. And a lot of that has to do with my team and marketing, you know, finishing up, rebranding everything right now. So Paige wasn't happy with the first go around, so they had to make her happy. <laughs> that's that's really my fault. Yeah. My yeah. bad. So soon we're going to have everything's be sent headquartered and centered on the OGGN website. The individual websites, the podcast will go away. Not that I think it's actually point. 0.8% of our listens are actually on the websites. Everybody else listens to I mobile. think the majority of the people that listen online are people that listen to oil and gas industry leaders, huh? I, you know, I don't know. what That'd be an interesting thing for me to go back and look. I, don't I thought, know I, thought show, I remember you saying that. Uh, that would make sense. And nothing against the old people in the industry because I am one of the old people in the industry. But when I think about who's sitting down and listening to a podcast on a desktop – 
It's usually not the 30-somethings. I don't know. And Could the, be. And you have a more senior demographic that listens to your show, so that would make sense. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The ability to listen online from a browser will still be there or just be somewhere else. And this way we have all the shows in one place because if we don't put all the shows in one place, we're going to lose track. We're already losing track. Basically. Yeah. And then go join our LinkedIn page. Go follow our LinkedIn page. We're over 40,000 followers and growing. It's the place to be if you're one of the cool kids. Yeah. And don't forget, we're going to be doing First Friday Q&A for October. Yep. So you know the deal. Submit a question. If we use your question on there, we give you a big shout out. Please, please, please remember the goal is not to stump Paige and I. The goal is to help educate our audiences. I would actually like somebody trying to stump me on some regulatory stuff. Don't put it out there. I'm just kidding. You're, I don't do finance, by the you way. You have some uber geek <laughs> that's <laughs> hip deep in some type of... Operational regulatory <laughs> compliance. Yeah, be clear there so you'll get caught. Hey, <laughs> if you're actually in that world, I would... Some of those questions are actually pretty interesting. If you're in that world, send a question out to Paige. It's her expertise. I actually like listen to her answering stuff. I have no idea what she's talking about. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know I, what you talk about sometimes too, so... Yeah, it works all the way around because I tell you what, people love my segues. I got proof. <laughs> Quit encouraging him, guys. All All right. right. You ready to get out of here? Yeah. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are events on deck. This is Savannah, and here are the events on deck for September 2020. There's the FPSO World Congress 2020, and that's on September 1st to the 4th and also the 8th, and it's all online. The next one is Building the Future Industrial Summit on September the 16th, and that's also online. There's also the 4th Annual Blockchain and Oil and Gas Conference 2020, and that's on September the 16th to the 18th. Then there's the Genius Symposium and Exhibition for Upstream Innovation 2020, and that's September the 22nd to the 24th. And there's also Effective Leadership Through Change and Uncertainty featuring Condoleezza Rice, and that's on September the 24th. There's also NAEP Summer 2020 from August 11th to September the 14th, And lastly, there's BP Week 2020, September 14th to 16th. That's all for September. Hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.